The following contains plot spoilers, and the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts. So don't get mad, it's just a show. In a world where every kid dreams of being a podcaster, two ancient wizards are able to share their power. All you need to do is grab your microphone and say our name, Totally Super. Hi, welcome to Totally Super, totally where Super we podcast. review every superhero movie ever made. My name is Justin. And my name is Arthur. And today we are uh, reviewing DC Comics, DC Extended Universe, uh, maybe, movie Shazam! Shazam! Uh, star- starring Zachary Levi and uh, directed by, who's the director? Directed by David F. Sandberg. Um, uh, like I said, my name is Justin and, uh, and Arthur's with me. And this is, uh, this is exciting for me. Yeah. Because, uh, the fact is, is that I've got two kids and one is old enough to see most of the movies with me, but I've got a younger kid that I have to be really careful what I take him to see. Um, and he's right at this age. I have an eight year old, uh, Joy, is he eight or is he seven? No, he's seven. He's going to be turning eight. I think, I think that's the case. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's terrible. He'll never listen to this show, which is good. Now you can, um, you can look it up right before his birthday. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, he's, he's seven and all of his friends have much more lenient parents than I, um, I, he is, even has a friend who's watched Deadpool, which is weird. Um, whoa. Um, but, uh, he's like, loves the Avengers movies. I eventually let him see infinity war at home after prepping him about what was going to happen. I spoiled him on the end when it actually happened. I was able to turn his head away. You know, like I'm like, it's hard for me to find a movie that is a legit superhero movie that he can go see. We saw Spider-Verse, which was great. Uh, we saw the Lego Batman, which is great. But in terms of live action superheroes, it's really hard for me to get a movie that is just like right up his alley. Um, so I was so excited that he wanted to go see Shazam even more than I did. Um, and that is that is what I'm coming in to see Shazam as. How about you? What is your experience uh, prior to the film with Shazam and what were your feelings going? Well, first, let me say I will be very interested to hear your thoughts on it uh, and specifically in how it relates to your kid, because it, it was definitely a delightful film. Uh, there were some moments in it that I was like, oh, this is legitimately fear inducing. Um, now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I am a big proponent of like the old Don Bluth uh, uh, animated films like Secret of Nim and All Dogs Go to Heaven. And, you know, it was clear that the makers of those films had a philosophy that if there's not at least one scene that could potentially give a kid nightmares, we're doing it wrong. Um, but uh, so my experience actually going to see this movie was there is a brand new theater uh, just around the corner from me. Uh, I live in sunny Orlando or outside of it. And uh, just a little less than three blocks away, they just opened a massive Margaritaville resort, which uh, as a homeowner in that area I have mixed feelings about. However, the feelings grew decidedly more positive when I discovered that there is a studio movie grill right around the corner from me now where you can go and get a beer and sit in like Barca lounger chairs. So I could, I was practically horizontal watching this film. Um, That's what she said. And uh, so I went uh, just last Saturday night actually. um, And I was on my own. I had my angry orchard cider and sat down and had a delightful time. Um, Yeah, it's interesting when you, and we'll, we'll get to the specific moments but there is a I recently was listening to a podcast where they were talking about this film and they were talking about the uh, the the philosophy in children's films that there should be something that is legitimately scary to children in a mm-hmm. children's film experience that then can be overcome um, and Ooh, that, that is like that. part of part of preparing children for the world is to is to show them there are scary things in the world but if you fight back you can you can achieve victory over them and Ooh, I like it was an interesting philosophy that I thought about for a little while after hearing it, like going, huh, it is kind of true that, yes, I by the time I was my my older son's age, I was watching Nightmare on Elm Street movies and he doesn't even want to watch Die Hard. Mm. But I saw a wonderful, no, wonderful, a horrible uh, clip of the new Mortal Kombat game, which looks, the violence is ridiculously ridiculous. It's almost like Monty Python level violence on the game now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was so fun. I was like, hey, look at this. And I was laughing and he was like legitimately bothered by it. And I was hey, that's kind great. Of, yeah, I don't know if that's great, though. I don't know. Like the fact is, is that when you know my older son is is coming up on eighth grade and there is there has to be, especially by the time you get to high school, a sense of a sense of I can appreciate the difference between fantasy and real violence. And also something that bothers me is not necessarily something I need to turn my head away from, but something that I feel 
face with with resolution. And I I, I don't know. Give me your I, I mean, I can I, I can see the arguments on both sides of that. I mean, you know very well that in my own personal philosophy, I frankly believe. Uh, um, I, for one thing, I was absolutely a kid who uh, did not like watching horror films. Did not like watching uh, any kind of realistic violence. Um, in fact, I even like the whole when Street Fighter 2 and Mortal Kombat came out, I was very much a Street Fighter 2 person because I thought the whole conceit of the finishing finish him thing from Mortal Kombat was gratuitous. And this was when I was 13. Um, you know, that being said, you are very familiar with how much violent uh, games and movies I've watched since then. Um, you know, all other things being equal, my general thought is, uh, you know, the world, especially this country, could do with a few more people who might lean a little bit on the softer side. Um, and being bothered by violence um, or something scary is not the same thing as being unwilling to face it when it's actually there, if that makes sense. I get that. I get that. The thing is, is does it make you as an adult to be more on the softer side? to shy away from this in your fiction because most of the the darkest horror and and heavy metal fans I know right like the people who who indulge in the most graphic of stuff are and I'm when I say most I mean like 90% and I know a lot because I've made horror movies and mm-hmm. I can tell you they are generally soft spoken gentle smart most of them very highly paid employed um fair people um people who have friends everywhere in in every echelon of both racial diversity and also sort of social strata diversity like they don't just hang out with the cool kids and they mix it up mm-hmm. i would say that much more than your typical i just like action movies and sports guys um the specific and i talk guys because it's really men that i'm talking about when it comes to having issues with physical violence yes it, it is it does occur with women but it's it's very very prevalent in men the 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 hyper violence that can happen in real life um they're seems to be more of a I see more of a correlation between people who have it's a reverse correlation between people who have indulged in ultraviolet fiction and people who are kind of hard-edged jerks it's a reverse correlation there I would say that uh, it's generally the people the people who I found most distasteful in my life have been people who also were just not into this sort of thing if that makes sense it does I think you've got a without going too far into it um you know because we could spend an entire episode on that i think there's a uh you know there's a reminder that causation is not correlation um you also do have a selective group there in that you know people who are absolute a-holes you are not going to be working on these films with anyway um i you know i'm willing to bet that there's plenty of people in you know say incel who also absolutely adore hyperviolent genres um now that is not me saying that hyperviolent fiction necessarily encourages it uh, in somebody who's watching it. On the other hand, I also don't believe that an aversion to dark fiction necessarily indicates that like dark fiction does not make you a worse person, but I don't think you can make an argument either that it necessarily makes you a better one either. It just, you know, like all stories, it just is and it has different effects on different people. Um, I think that's fair to say. Yeah, this is is all a long way of saying, this is just a, you know, a very long roundabout way of saying into today's world, I would say it's there's a lot of silver lining to your son not necessarily being into the same kind of things that you were into uh, at his age. I And certainly, I don't think anyone should be into the things that I was into at his age. I think at a couple of years older, perhaps, but I was I was deep into stuff that maybe I should not have been spending so much time on. It, you know, at the ripe old age of 11. It's, it's maybe, <laughs> not, maybe, maybe not the time to see somebody walked around an insane asylum like a puppet using their veins. Okay. Yes. I, 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 yes. I will concede that maybe I should have waited till to late middle school into early high school to get into that. So I, I started a little early, but there is, you're right. There is some, some intense violence in here not just fantasy violence. Yes, there's fantasy violence, but there are some real things that happen when specifically when demons do things to people. It's one thing to watch yeah. somebody gets, get vaporized or turned into mush or even like burn up with ethereal fire. And it's a completely other thing to see somebody just get bashed hard and thrown out a window like that is yeah. you know it may be that fantasy is, it's creatures. a very it's a much more visceral thing yeah it may be fantasy creatures doing it but it's not the same thing and i and i will grant that there were points it's interesting because i they went to go see it twice and 
Um, and my older son, who really looks out for his younger son, uh, when I saw it with him the first time, they were sitting far away from each other. Like we went in with a group with my uh, a, a person you know, my buddy Daniel Mascarella, um, and his mm-hmm. kids went with us. And it was like, or actually it was his wife. He wasn't there. So it was, it was his wife and then me and then my older son and then her two kids and then my younger son all the way on the end of this row. And my older son, every time that something would happen, would go, dad, 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 go over there and cover his eyes. Oh, I was like, I was like, that's he's like six, there. He's like six seats away. There's no way I can do that. And and my my younger son would hear him say that and be like, hey, no, it's fine. I'm fine. I'm really good. We're good. Thumbs up. We're fine. Um, so it's just interesting that yes, there are these parts of this ultra violence, but I think that harkens back to you know, that exists in Snow White. You know what I mean? That's yeah. that's that's there. You know, both physical and emotional violence is something that occurs in a big way in most Disney films, frankly. Yeah, I mean, because um, they were it, all based on Grimm's fairy tales which were epically dark yeah I it's it's a it's worth noting that this is it's maybe more visceral maybe more intense and that's just part of filmmaking today um it's crunchier uh, is what you might say mm-hmm. but it is yeah. it is still something that kids have always sort of watched and dealt with and I think that you know I think that this film is probably pretty safe for the for the the moderately sensitive seven-year-old you might have a is it rated more it's sensitive. rated PG 13 right is it it is rated I don't know what it's rated. That's a really great question. Um, I will look right now. I mean, I would not here. necessarily rate this PG. Um, Shazam is rating, I think it's PG-13. Shazam okay. is rated PG-13 for intense sequences of action. So, yeah, well, I mean, it's... Yeah. But that's, again, it's probably just because of that intense stuff. It did seem... I don't know. Maybe, the, maybe superhero b- movies have changed the bar because they are all pretty violent in this way. And we're at a point where... It's it's a weird thing as a parent. I know we haven't even talked about the movie yet, but you know, deal with it. we'll talk about the details mm-hmm. in a minute. But it's a weird thing as a parent when, especially with these superhero movies, when the all the your friends, your kids' friends are all seeing the movies, and it's not just like oh, they all seen it. They're all playing. It. They're all you know, yeah. they come home and they are playing the game of Shazam, and it's really interesting because they were at one point all playing. Um, they were all playing Star Wars. And I had not let my younger son, and this is a couple of years ago, my younger son see most of Star Wars when he was five and all his friends had seen Star Wars. And I was like holding off one because I want him to understand it when he sees it. I want him to remember it. But two, there are parts that are pretty intense. And yeah. he was ostracized from this game, not because he's got bad friends, but he was like doing it wrong. They were like using well, the force. He didn't have the he, shared vocabulary. Yeah, he was, they, they, and he was like, and I am, and I am forcing the weather. You know, and then, no, that's not how the force works. That's not how the force works. Um, so that is an interesting thing when you have them all talking about it and they are all commiserating and it's part of their part of existing within their social circle is to be able to be like yeah wasn't that cool um, yeah. and and I don't think I don't remember that existing for me when I was actually that's not true no it's completely untrue actually if I look back I remember being seven years old at the daycare talking about whether or not we were going to find out that Luke's father was or was not Darth Vader or Dar- was Darth Vader lying because he's a big lying jerk. Um, so I do mm-hmm. remember Return of the Jedi specifically because I was seven talking on the playground about it. But that's the only one I remember talking about. Like, do you have childhood memories about about discussing movies with friends at that young age? Um, I have one childhood memory uh, of very specifically playing Star Wars with some older kids and I had no real knowledge of Star Wars. Um, I think I had some of the toys so I knew that like Luke was the most cool because he had the most powers um, and uh, uh, you know, so I got really disappointed when I was forced to play Han Solo. Um, again, not having seen any of the films or anything. Uh, so, you know, I guess the only thing I can say from that memory is I bounced back from not being able to play that game with my friends. But that is like literally. Yes, yeah, certainly. You are very so well adjusted. No, I'm kidding. I'm so kidding. Yeah, right. That, that's um, a- the uh, the one thing I'll say, uh, we should probably get into talking about, you know, the actual movie. But the, uh, the last thing I'll say about it is I'm reminded uh, what you said about movies should have uh, something special scary that can then be overcome in it. Uh, I'm reminded G.K. Chesterton, who, uh, you know, was a late 19th century, early 20th century author, um, arguably one of the uh, most, one of the authors who had the most influence on C.S. Lewis. Um, G.K. Chesterton was a Christian fantasy writer. Uh, I think he wrote like The Princess and the Goblin. Um, And he had a famous defense 
acceptance of the value of fantasy, specifically fantasy for children. Uh, because at the time, people were saying, oh, it's all lies. You're telling these kids that all these things exist that don't actually exist and it's corrupting them. And his answer was, fantasy does not exist to tell children that dragons are real. Fantasy exists to tell children that dragons can be beaten. Huh. And that always really landed for me. Like to me, and that that is still like my go-to. That's why that is my genre of choice, specifically because of that. I have to agree fully and wholeheartedly with that assessment. Let's talk about the movie. Um, this movie yeah, let's talk was, about the movie. This movie is, of course, uh, a Warner Brothers film uh, in the DC Extended Universe. It is supposed to exist in the same universe as the Justice League. And sure enough, spoiler alert, three, two, one, at the end of the movie, supposedly that's Henry Cavill's Superman showing up. Of course, Henry Cavill is in uh, intense negotiations and is probably not going to be playing Superman any longer. So they did not show his face. Uh, one of the reasons that he is possibly getting ousted as Superman is they wanted him to come do a cameo in this and he was busy and he's like, well, I don't want to just show up for a cameo. And they were like, well, for a cameo. Yeah, maybe you will find another Superman. And it got that out is, of that's not un, that is not an unreasonable situation to be just like, guys, I, I have other projects. Thank you. Yeah. But I mean, it's not that we want to get into the politics of, of whether or not to do that. But if you look at the Marvel guys, they're all kind of game. They're all just like, yeah, you know what? We're glad to be like Mark, Mark Ruffalo showing up at the end of Iron Man 3. It's just neat. It's just like, yeah, let's go take a day. Let's go. Let, let's make it kind of one big happy family. And I've never gotten that sense from these guys that they're one big happy family, um, mm, which is true. a shame. I should feel that way. This is uh, um, being directed by uh, David F. Sandberg. David F. Sandberg is a director who uh, who is most notable for directing uh, some little movies um, and then Lights Out and Annabelle Creation. Uh, these are both uh, horror movies that are, it's really interesting he's made the jump from horror movies. He's not the first. Uh, James Wan, I believe, uh, is the one who uh, directed Aquaman. He made the jump from the, he made the jump, I believe, from the either Saw or the Conjuring series into Aquaman. And here we have another one uh, who has directed mostly horror in terms of features. He directed some other you things know, uh, in terms of shorts. That but makes, he, I was just saying, that makes so much sense to me because I'm watching the film uh, during some of the more intense moments. And I actually rem was thinking to myself, I would not be surprised if this director has directed horror because clearly they know their way around scary scenes. And so yet he's able to yeah. do the light thing. And I will say that's a hard yes. thing to pull off as a director. I can tell you that's a hard thing. To, by the way, a bit of business. Uh, if you're wondering where we've been, because we've never gone this long without doing a podcast before, I just finished mm -hmm. directing a film, um, our, our full production on a film. Uh, so I'll be doing post-production. But for the past like six weeks, I've been, you know, knee deep in just directing my own movie. So I'm sort of in that mode as we talk about this movie, because I'm looking at it from a director's medium and I'm going, this is a, a, a film that is that, that achieves so much, um, even if the tone is even if it's tonally a little um, bipolar. But I digress. Mm -hmm. This movie stars Zachary Levi of Chuck fame, who I've never seen an episode of Chuck. But this movie in particular makes me want to go back and watch Chuck because he's wonderful. Mark Strong, who is just in everything. Um, Jimin Hansu, who's literally in both Captain Marvel movies right now. Uh, and and it was made for a budget of 98 to 100 million dollars and it's already made 258.8 million dollars a sequel is already in development so that is Shazam and I would like to hear please what this movie is about would you please right. give me a plot summary all right the plot summary of Captain Marvel no wait I mean Shazam uh, DC's Captain Marvel which is now pretty much Shazam uh, in winter 1974 a young Thaddeus Savannah and his older brother are driven home by their father while playing with his magic eight ball, Savannah is magically transported to the Rock of Eternity, where he meets a wizard, who introduces him to the mystical statues containing the spirits of the seven deadly sins. The wizard tests his purity of heart to see if he is worthy of being his champion, but Thad fails. Transported back to the car with the message from the wizard that he will never be worthy, his distress causes enough of a scene that his father wrecks the car, almost killing them all. Flash forward to a few years before modern day, where a very young Billy Batson is at a carnival with his teenage mother. He loses a pendant ball he has and chases after it, separating from her. Lost, he is then picked up by police who get him to a foster home after his mother never returns. Now we are in present-day Philadelphia. Billy, now played by Asher Angel, a.k.a. the male Arya Stark, is getting into no end of trouble, running away from foster homes and tricking police. Also, he can find his mother. A social services worker puts him with the Vasquez family and their five siblings, including Freddy, who is, like, totally into superheroes. Meanwhile, a grown-up Dr. Thad Savannah finally figures out how to return to the wizard's realm. Upon arrival, he takes the Eye 
of Envy, which absorbs the seven deadly sins and shoots into his eyeball, giving him the power of all seven demons. He returns to the real world, no doubt to unleash some nefarious evils. At school, the foster children show Billy around, as he adjusts. Outside, two traditional bully archetypes, though one of them I should note with well-coiffed hair and a fully buttoned-up shirt, so we're clearly in the 21st century where now even bullies can be metrosexual, start tormenting Freddy. Billy stands up to the bullies and hits them with Freddy's walking stick and runs into the subway to avoid them. While on the train, symbols appear and he enters the Rock of Eternity. The wizard appears to Billy and explains that he was searching for someone with the purest of heart, but hey, considering Thad's recent theft, Billy is kind of the last shot that the wizard's gonna get. He transfers his powers to Billy by having him hold his staff and say his name. Shazam! Suddenly, Billy morphs into a very buff Zachary Levi in red spandex and a cape. The wizard crumbles to dust. So I guess now the superhero is the one called Shazam. Uh, not Billy. It's, right, it's never 100% explained. Shazam returns to Philadelphia and returns to the foster home and meets with Freddy, testing all his abilities, such as lightning, super speed, and strength. They enter a store and stop an armed robbery. Heading home, he discovers that he can actually revert to his other form by saying Shazam again. Meanwhile, at Savannah Industries, Dr. Savannah barges into a corporate meeting hosted by his brother and father. A confrontation between the siblings result in Savannah throwing his brother out of the window and then expelling the demons from his eye, who slaughter everyone in the room, including his dear old dad. But not before telling Thad that the wizard has chosen a champion. Back with the kids, Freddy posts videos of Shazam's powers, going viral, and we have a montage of power testing, plus kids using superpowers in expected kid-like ways, like getting money from an ATM and generously charging people's phones. Next day at school, the bullies begin to mess with Freddy and Billy again, until Freddy tells them he knows the new hero, Red Cyclone. They don't believe him, but he promises to and tells them that he'll get him to show up to lunch tomorrow. Freddy and Billy get into a bit of an argument over him just assuming and trying to use Billy for his powers. Billy decides not to attend school the next day and strikes off on his own as Shazam. He takes selfies and shows off lightning for money. Freddy finds Shazam and calls him out on acting selfishly. Yet Shazam, when he tries to defuse the situation, accidentally shoots lightning that hits the tires of a bus across the city, sending it off the side of the bridge. In his first actual superheroic moment, Shazam catches it. But the commotion catches Dr. Savannah's attention, who challenges Shazam for his power. Savannah gives Shazam a major villainous butt-kicking, though on the plus side, Shazam learns he can fly. Desperate, Shazam transforms back into Billy and runs. But meanwhile, Savannah takes Freddy hostage. Billy returns home, where his foster siblings reveal they learned his mother's location and that she is just two subway stops away. Billy rushes out of his house, just before Savannah shows up with Freddy and traps the children. Billy then arrives at his mother's apartment complex. She tells him that he was intentionally abandoned on that day, since she saw him with the police and thought that he would be much better cared for by others since she was only 17. Also, now is not a great time for her to be a parent as she says. Although, to be fair, it's clear that she's not. Billy leaves, giving her the compass pendant she gave him all those years ago to quote-unquote find his way, saying, you need this more than me right now. Act of compassionate understanding? Epic mega burn? Or both? You decide. After finding out that Savannah has his new chosen family captive, Billy turns to Shazam and goes after him. What follows is a surprisingly long final fight sequence that ranges from the Rock of Eternity to a lovely winter carnival to the skies above Philadelphia. In probably the most key pivotal moment, just as Shazam is truly on the ropes, he remembers the words of the wizard, saying his heart would unlock his greatest power and that the thrones of the other wizards sit empty. Oh, goodness, I accidentally deleted a paragraph here that explains what happens next. So here we go into just an improv mode. So Shazam, realizing the words of the wizard, has all of his siblings grab his staff and say Shazam. They all also turn into delightful superhero alternate versions of themselves and begin butt-kicking all of the demons in what is a great like 10-minute long fight scene with that. Uh, Dr. Savannah is finally defeated, and then we are back to my written plot, where the foster family all talk and laugh, and Billy finally feels happy and safe accepting a family. Final scene. At school, Freddy sits down at lunch and the entire table leaves, so all his siblings come and sit next to him. The bullies show up and ask if he's still friends with Red Cyclone, but at that moment of mockery, Shazam does show up and tells the school how Freddy showed him everything it means to be a hero, and that he also brought another friend, Henry Cavill. Fiend. And then, of course, there's a post credit scene with a caterpillar, which I... Yeah. Don't understand. You can look it up. His Mr. I looked Mind, it up. I it's Mr. Mind. Mr. Apparently Mind. in 1945, one of the most powerful villains in the DC universe was a telepathic caterpillar. That is so, both sad and awesome. So let's talk really quick about the history of Shazam because it's really interesting. And Captain Marvel. Shazam uh, came out in a uh, in a comic book back in 1940. It's important to note that this is almost immediately after the release of Superman. And the, the concept has always been the same. Billy Batson's a kid, meets a wizard. The wizard 
wizard tells him to say Shazam. He says Shazam. He turns into what was then Captain Marvel. And then when the adventure is done, he gets to switch back into Billy Batson. And that's always been the case. It's always been the idea of Shazam. Um, Shazam uh, was uh, the first uh, film adaptation of a comic book into a movie, specifically the Republic serials of the time. So the very first superhero movie was, in fact, Captain Marvel's Shazam. Um, uh, in 1953, uh, DC said, um, you know, that Shazam's doing all the things that Superman does, and uh, and we kind of don't like it, so uh, stop. And also, you owe us money. It turned into a big uh, legal fight in which uh, the creator of uh, of Shazam, um, uh, Fawcett, uh, turned around and uh, ended up having to shut shut down and give the rights essentially over to DC Comics. DC Comics then started. Oh, that's putting right. Out- I'd forgotten. Yeah, I'd forgotten Shazam was not originally a uh, a DC trademark. Yes. Yeah, so so they they got it back in back in uh, by by the time it switched over it was right around 1973. By the time the rights and Shazam was kind of out of like out of commission for. For a while there in the in the interstitial time well marvel comics started up in the 1960s so when they dc started trying to post Mar- captain marvel marvel comics was like uh-uh no you don't we're marvel you can't just put marvel on the front of your comics and so mm-hmm. dc started calling captain marvel um only he was only called captain marvel within the pages of the book but you could not put Cap- the words captain marvel on the front of the book and eventually as uh, DC, dc continues to revamp its universe finally the character's name is just shazam uh, and that's only been in the last, like, probably the last 10 years. So that is, like, we're talking, you know, it's not only the most recent superhero movie, but the very first. And I think it's really interesting. That predates the Superman serials and the Batman serials. That predates all of that. And is is wow. is the first time someone said, hey, let's put a superhero on screen is has been Shazam. He not only was in those, but Shazam actually had a, uh, a live action TV series and a number of um, a number of uh, of animated series as well. You can find the live action TV series. I think they just released it on the DC app, so you can watch all of the uh, the actual like live action Shazam series that existed. It's actually there to watch if you're a subscriber to that app. So that is uh, it's just really fascinating to me uh, that the history of this character is 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 so cool. And I joked about Jim and Hansu, of course, just a couple weeks ago. A movie called Captain. You can go to the movies theaters right now and see Captain Marvel and Shazam at the theaters at the same time. Like you can do a double wow. feature right now in theaters, which is astounding. And Jimin Hansu is in both of them, which is crazy. He's the wizard in this. And then he's the carryover character from Guardians, who's one of the Kree in, um, he's the one in, in Guardians of the Galaxy. He goes, when he goes, I'm Star-Lord, man. He goes, who? He's he's that guy, but he's also in Captain Marvel as part of Jude Law's Kree likes people. So oh, like, that's right. It, so he is actually in both Captain Marvel movies right now, which is astounding. It just makes me so happy. Funny. Um, so I'm sorry. That- I suddenly just realized this might not be an apt thing at all. But so we're talking about Shazam, who is apparently like super influential in the creation of the superhero genre back when it began, but then kind of disappeared uh, from everybody's mindset at most was kind of a joke. And then suddenly, thanks to this movie, has come back in a real big way. Um, is it fair to say that Shazam is now the Hamilton of the superhero universe? I I think we have to see the long the, the long-lasting uh, effects of this one, but I think it's safe to say that that he is he, he sort of deserves that. I think you could also make the same argument for Aquaman, who is also this third-string character who was at one point really big and then was dismissed as a joke, then has slowly come back, and then... You know what? That probably that probably makes more sense there. But Yeah, but, but here it's... I think that looking at Aquaman and Shazam together, you're looking at a definite tonal shift for the DC, the DC universe. I think the DC Huge. universe is like, oh, Maybe it'd be a good idea to have fun. Maybe that's what people want when they want to go see a superhero movie in the theaters is to enjoy themselves. Not, Do you bleed? You will. You know, I think that that maybe it's more fun to watch superheroes try to buy beer. Um, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I personally go to superhero movies in order to deflect on the cynical and dark nature of the human soul and the impossibility of ever actually achieving good in the world. No, what, I think what, that what you go to the superhero movies. for? No, I think I, as a matter of fact, I think that that I think Superman himself has a tattoo two of that across his chest um, <laughs> yeah, that, that, right there. that's what the that's a, oh no that's not an s that's actually a symbol of my people meaning all hope is lost and there is no hope of achieving good in the world <laughs> 
yeah, no, I think that it's um I think that it's fair to say that that this is a pivot for the DC universe. Uh, it's interesting their next I don't know if you saw the trailer for Joker. Um their next film is going to be unbelievably dark and gritty. Um but may not even have any superheroes in it. So, um mm-hmm. do you think so here's a question. Is this really a part of the DC extended universe in your opinion? Does this belong in the same world as I know Superman shows up in the one scene at the end, but like this is a world where there's superhero merchandise. This is a world where there's an aisle of Superman and Batman. That's a thing to have Superman and Batman toys everywhere. Um, this I don't mm-hmm. see a world like when I saw Justice League, I didn't see a bunch of like Superman and Batman, especially Batman. Like I didn't see a bunch of Batman toys existing in the Batman of that world. That Batman was I was think h- hated and branding people, and like it was it was not. This just seems to be not just tonally different, but of of an other like and people are like are wowed by superheroes it just seems to be of of another ilk does this exist next that makes to sense League? yeah that makes a lot of sense the uh i mean the the existence of branded toys uh in a superhero world like that makes sense to me although you make a good point about why nobody actually likes batman uh at least in the batman in the current dc batman universe um yeah i'd say the big argument for why it's not really the same thing is i mean the tone is just so different. On the other hand, it does share a bit in tone to Aquaman. Um, I could see those two films being kind of in the same universe. But, uh, I mean, the big thing differentiating them is those films, uh, but like the Superman and the Batman films, have a very different thing to say about what it means to be a superhero than Shazam does. Uh, And one thing about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, besides all the crossovers, their message about being a hero is relatively consistent throughout, uh, whereas not so much in DC. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, it's like, Ant-Man exists in the same world as Captain America the Winter Soldier. So, I see that you can have tonal shifts, but something about it just makes it feel other. I don't feel any sense of continuity between this and the Justice League world. And my understanding is that that's on purpose. The DC has basically said, oops, just kidding, there is no DC-connected universe. Um, So, the upcoming Wonder Woman movie, which is is Wonder Woman 1984, um, they've said that it might not even be a sequel to Wonder Woman which I don't it's the okay, same that cast hmm. and the same director and maybe this is just a rumor I've heard rumors like this before that totally end up not being true that they go no this yeah. is not the case but I know that Chris Pine is in the film which is interesting because Chris Pine died at the end of Wonder Could Woman be a flashback maybe um, well, it's interesting. I don't know if you watched the old Woman, Wonder Woman TV show, but there was Steve Trevor was in the old Woman, Wonder Woman TV show and the first season took place in the 40s. And then it was suddenly in the 70s and the same actor was back as Steve Trevor's like son. And that was mentioned in like one episode once. And then he was just Steve Trevor. He was also Steve Trevor. It was like Steve Trevor Jr. Yeah. Well, let's be uh, honest. I mean, comics play fast and loose with. I mean, Tony Stark hasn't aged a day in 50 years. So yeah, well, and Kitty Pride. Kitty Pride is aged. She is now like 24. Yeah. Whoa. Um, yeah, so she ages in dog years, apparently. She's aged nine years. She's aged nine years over the course of, of, of the, how many years she's been around? 40? Um, so I'm just saying that that I think this might be the beginning of a true reboot of the universe, but or maybe a dismantling of the existing universe. But this is, in a, this is in a world where Superman exists. So I don't know if Batman, act, no, because there's a Batarang. There's a Batarang. Okay, Batman yeah. also exists. That's actually a real thing in this film is and and Aquaman exists and not only does Aquaman exist but he has the same logo as the Aquaman film because the kid is wearing a shirt with the Aquaman logo on it so evidently Aquaman has the same marketing company as the as the real world Aquaman which is weird um it's yeah again whether or not this this is almost there's almost an element of Deadpool to this for me where well let's treat the I feel like this is a film that unlike a lot of the Marvel ones it doesn't do us a ton of good to talk about how it relates to the other ones because it so clearly is, even if it isn't the same universe, it's a one shot that sort of does stand on its own. Yeah, no, I agree. I just, I my point was that I just wanted to to try and place it because it is one of the appeals of this is that it's supposed to be in the same world. Um, and it certainly is, it's in a world where there are these actual superheroes. These actual superheroes do exist in this world, but it might not be the superheroes mm-hmm. that we've seen before. We might be 
watching the Iron Man of a new superhero universe. That would be really interesting. Maybe. I don't know. I'm still like last thing I'll say about the shared universe thing. I am down for a flashpoint uh, eventually, which is a place or a crisis where all the universes mix and meet. And then you eventually have to have a, a the reset universe from this point forward with someone who's not Ben Affleck playing Batman. Um, moving on to the film itself. Let's start with the characters. Um, the most obvious character uh, is Billy Batson, um, who is most of the time played by Zachary Levi in adult. Um, well, I guess there's one mm-hmm. more thing to talk about if we're talking about other films and echoing other films. And the other film I'm going to echo is the 1980s classic Big, because I think that you really yes, need to talk. Which they spe- yeah, that's true, because they, they throw a couple very specific references into uh, it. If you haven't never seen the film Big, it stars Tom Hanks. A boy meets a, a wizard in the form of a wizard machine that he wishes to be big. He wakes up the next day and he is an adult and his spunky best friend and he go on big adventures until he realizes that it's good to be a child and returns to it. It is, there's a lot of big in this film. There's a lot, a lot of it of big in this film. This is almost a remake of big with a superhero twist. Well, it's, big, it's big if the wizard gave Tom Hanks powers along with bigness. Yeah, yeah. But, um, and I think it's what separates it out from all the other superhero films because because so much of this film is about big. So much of this film, you know, yes, you have to introduce the robbers at the convenience store, but going out to buy the beers, straight out of big. Like it's it's yeah. very much the, the uh, same. What I, as I was watching this film, I specifically thought, oh, Justin is probably loving this because you have talked a lot about the, you know, a, a major part of superhero stuff, especially as a kid growing up, is it is that wish fulfillment. We all like to imagine. I mean, they even have the conversation. It's like, okay, flight or invisibility. We all had those conversations as kid is, ooh, what superpower would I like to have? And this film does a tremendous job of fully exploring everything that a kid would do if he suddenly woke up and discovered he had superpowers. Like, uh, both the delightful moments of, oh my gosh, I'm a superhero, down to, like, the really bad, hasty, immature decisions that a kid would make in that situation. Like, this, arguably, like, this movie spends more time on the quote-unquote origin than a lot of other films do. But uh, most of the times with films like The Origin, is something you just kind of have to get through. Like the whole kid, you know, person discovering they have powers, um, you know, sometimes you sort of skate over that in five minutes. Like that's a full like quarter of this film at least. Uh, but it's also the heart of the film. Well, and again, I think the film is is spiritual cousins with both, with like some weird amalgam of the first Spider-Man film and Spider-Man Homecoming. I feel like that yeah. is, that like there's, it's so much so that at the end, um, the end credits are almost the exact same end credits of Spider-Man Homecoming. Um, it's it's you know down to like a Ramon song like it's they very very much um, are taking from that ilk which I think is a great way to go I mean it's if superheroes are supposed to be like th- these are movies for kids they should be movies for kids the comic books are for kids adults can enjoy them too but much like like the best Pixar movies your target audience should be children it should be wish fulfillment for kids that's what they were designed to be and the fact that this delivers on that in spades and isn't about how much it sucks they they manage in this film to say it is better to be a kid enjoy being a kid because that has extraordinary value without doing the oh it sucks so much to be a superhero you don't want that trust me. um oh that's a good point yeah it really balances that super super well um and I think that you know it's it's a film that accomplishes a lot I mean the film is you know it, it you know it shows positive views of a foster home it shows a family that prays which doesn't go south at any point it shows a uh, diversity within, you know, diversity within a foster home. It has a, di- a, a, a character who is disabled. It shows wish fulfillment and dealing with being a kid. It sh- I mean, there's, there's, it shows good, good dad versus bad dad, found family versus family you're stuck with. I mean, this movie crams a lot in. Yeah, this movie accomplishes a lot. And it would, uh, yeah, and that's the thing. That's a great word, accomplishes, because it doesn't feel overstuffed to me at all. Yeah. It feels absolutely the right level of all of the things that I just listed. Um, it is- yeah, there are only there are only two things, uh, you know, sort of, I guess, negative points that uh, that jumped out at me. Um, the first one, thematically, was you mentioned before, it does feel a little bipolar sometimes. Like, we will shift from a terrifying scene to, hey, look, I'm shooting lightning from my hands and buying beer. And both of those scenes on their own are wonderful. But when thrown back to back, sometimes it's a little bit, I, I feel uh, there's a little bit too much of a roller coaster with it. Uh, again, 
again, that's minor. Uh, and then the other thing, uh, character-wise, is I don't see as much of a link between Billy, between the character of the of Billy as a kid and Billy in Shazam form. Now, don't get me wrong. When I am seeing Zachary Levi playing Shazam, I am indisputably seeing a kid in a grown-up body with superpowers. What I'm not sure of is whether I'm seeing the young Billy Badson in an adult body with superpowers. Like, like I will say, Billy is a whole lot more snarky and wisecracky when he has superpowers when he, uh, as opposed to when he's just a kid. Yeah, I would, I agree with you uh, strongly, actually. That's, and it didn't occur to me until you just said that. But yes, I do agree with you very much. It, provisionally. I would say the section of the movie where where Big Billy uh, gets, where Shazam gets a bit selfish and I that like whenever he's, whenever he's in, uh, interacting uh, with Freddy, I still see, um, especially when they're at odds, I still see yes, young agree. Billy. Good point. Um, but yeah, yeah, the other times it's, but maybe that's how it would be. I mean, whatever problems you have, however you were feeling and however things were going, if one day you wake up and you got these powers, you might act a little different. It might be. That's fair. That's fair. Like that, that might be, uh, you know, I want to also call out, um, I mean, let's start with the characters. Okay. So let's, let's talk about uh, Billy as a character and in terms of the performances. Um, I think Asher Angel does a fine job as, um, as young Billy, but damn is Zachary Levi. This should make him, if you weren't, yeah. if you didn't already consider this guy to be a star, I mean, this is, this is Robert Downey Jr. level of, of look what this guy can do. Um, mm-hmm. I want to cast this guy in so many different things now. He should be in, he should be the best buddy of James Bond in the next James Bond movie. You know what I mean? Like this guy should be, um, I can, I can see him becoming a, a giant deal after this. This is, well, this he's is, got a great combination of utterly charming as well as sincere. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what do you think of the, what do you think of the conceit of the kid who can become a superhero? Cause that's, you know, th- there's a bit of that in the original origin story for Thor. That's what Thor could also do in the comics originally. The, it used to be that there was a, a, a doctor who could, you know, speak the name of Thor and Thor appeared. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, but it started with this. What do you think of this as a as a as a conceit? The kid who can turn themselves into a superhero, as opposed to all the other. Uh, I would also say it's it's also very similar to He Man as well uh, and She-Ra. Yes. Um, or, it's, or it's safe to say the, that uh, all of these things are similar to Shazam. Yeah, oh, that's very true. Um, I like it. It feels at the same time both dated and wonderfully nostalgic. Um, the it was sort of watching. I was realizing it's like oh the whole oh look I'm a kid who's suddenly be given superpowers. I haven't seen this storyline for a while, whereas it kind of feels like back in the 80s and the 90s, to a certain degree, that was like a lot of the stories that we were seeing. Power Rangers, um, right? It's, it's you know, even... Oh, yeah, it's very Power Rangers. Yeah, yeah, um, very, very much. Yeah, I, I'd have to, th- I have to think a little bit more about, like, you know, some of the deeper implications of it. Um, but I will say that in that, if you are doing that storyline, uh, everything hinges on whether or not you are able to capture the absolute delight and one that the kid would have in that moment because we are all vicariously thinking, wow, if I got those things, oh my gosh, I would have so much fun. Uh, and this movie delivers on that hardcore. Um, the next um, oh, actually, go yeah, on, please. let me move on with that conceit then. Uh, not just with Billy growing up, but when all of his foster siblings uh, get superpowers at the end, they also, all of them, um, show absolute delight. Like, uh, um, oh gosh, I forgot their names. I think Vinny, maybe, or Victor, yeah. uh, you know, suddenly realizing like oh my gosh look at my look at these guns and Darla the uh you know his younger sister oh my gosh who they got to play the adult version of her still had that combination of pride and delight and just glee uh it was so charming and was um, freddie the one they... who was fast freddie was fast right i think so yeah and he could fly um yeah i think it's it's i i, I believe he ends up being fast no no <laughs> freddie wasn't the, uh, darla was the fast one so freddie was just like another kind of shazam um yeah. i felt like that was so important for this film um because and i think the next character to talk talk about is going to be freddie um, yeah, the, huge character. Uh, one, I love that he's disabled. Two, I love that he calls himself out. He's got a. I know some disabled people. They always joke about their disability. It's a. It's a defense yeah. mechanism, and there. And and he does it too. Um, but like when he gets to the point when he like finally drops the guard and goes goes goes. Yeah, this is awful. Do you know what I'd give to not have to have that? Like like the fact that it. Oh gosh, that, that scene was wonderful. And and then that yeah. you give him the superpowers. Um, at the end, and he gets to have his wish fulfilled too. I was not expecting. Now I didn't know the character. I didn't know about the Shazam 
damn family. I know more about it now. Um, but the fact that you got to see them get their wishes fulfilled, especially Freddie, it was so satisfying. Yeah. It was so satisfying. Oh, I had no idea. I Likewise, I had no idea it was coming. It was a magnificent little... I mean, obviously, in that kind of situation, it's like, ooh, there's going to be some kind of reveal or discovery. And certainly when the wizard at the beginning uh, said, you know, using your heart, you will unlock your greatest power. And I'm like, well, there's Chekhov's secret power planted right there. But I didn't know exactly how that was going to manifest. Uh, and I felt that the way it did was absolutely wonderful. Yeah, it was It was both delightful and profoundly heartwarming. Yeah, no, and, and I think that a lot of this film is, and again, Asher Angel does a fine job, but um, Jack Dylan Grazer as Freddy is, he's a yeah. marvelous, mar- uh, marvelous, uh, marvelous uh, character and actor, ah. and he does he does a great job. Let's talk about Mark Strong as Dr. Thaddeus Savannah. Um, I love Mark Strong, and it does really seem mm-hmm. like he shows up in everything, and wherever he is, he's always kind of intense um, and and brings this intensity. This is a guy who he's been around forever, but he's uh, he like we all know him from Kingsman. That's where I knew him best from. Uh, where where I love him, but he shows up. He's in the Imitation Game. Um, he was in John Carter. He was um, in the 2010 Robin Hood. He was the bad guy in Kick Ass. We talked about him as Frank D'Amico when we did Kick Ass. Oh yeah. Um, uh, and he just kind of like like he always sort of plays this th- this intense character that is either good or bad. Um, but he brings this mm-hmm. like every time I've ever seen him, I'm like that man looks older than he probably is. He looks like an older dude because he's bald. And also, I'm pretty sure he could kill me. <laughs> it's um, and yeah, he, that's he, just, yep. Um, but he he is. It's interesting because the movie starts with his um, origin story and his like like his very kind of heartbreaking and so sad for him origin story. And I thought he was going to be more of a sympathetic villain. But in fact, he does the mustache twirling baddie thing this entire time. Yeah. And I love it. I want nothing more from him. Frankly, I want nothing more from him. Yeah. Also worth noting his his father, uh, the actor who plays his father, is the same actor who played Lex Luthor's father in Smallville. So uh, I keep hearing people say that. Is he not also the guy from Office Space, though, uh, I don't think so. I think he is. Now I want to see his name. You is, mean uh, the boss? The, the boss from yeah. Office Space? No, he is not. Um, he might be. No, he is not. Uh, not in Office Space. He might. He's got be that same the, face uh, in Scrooged in the Bill Murray film. He might be Scrooge uh, the Toady in Scrooged. Um, but uh, but no, he's definitely not. He the boss is in, in Scrooge. Oh my gosh, he's in Scrooged. Okay, yeah, yeah. I yeah, you know, I keep th- thinking he's the one from from Office Space. Um, but no. Oh, he, oh my gosh, he is in Scrooged. That's where I know him from. I can, do you see why I would think he was the boss in Office Space? Like, I, I do, because the hair is similar, yes. The, and and he's got sort of a similar face, but a little more gaunt face. Oh my gosh, I do know him from Scrooge. I love him in that role, actually. Um, yeah. Interesting. Sorry, you're just hearing back me get... To, uh, back this, to the character. Yeah, of, this uh, isn't even a review anymore. It's just too. me going, I like this guy. He's nice. <laughs> I know that guy. He's cool. <laughs> he's a cool guy. Um, um, I, I do feel the... Uh, it raises the whole obviously comparison between uh, Thad and Billy uh, raises a really big question uh, or at least a theme that this movie delves into a lot which is you know different parenting styles um, you know because Thad's you know villainous life is not just shaped by his horrible father um, but also by the fact that the last thing that the wizard says to him after he comes this close to finally finding meaning in his life is the wizard says you will never be worthy and sends him back and you know, I, I uh, you know that that that's gonna have an effect on somebody long term. I think. Yeah, no, the wizard's kind of a jerk. Um, I think that's yeah, kind of, and I don't think that's just me being funny. I think it's sort of deliberate. You're supposed to think that the wizard's a little bit of a jerk. Like the the wizard just wants mm-hmm. out of there. The wizard just doesn't want to be there anymore. Um, and and I don't know why Billy is chosen because what because Billy stood like he didn't even do anything. Like it's not like he was helping Freddy when the bullies were beating him up. It's only that they said something about Freddy's mom and like. It, it touched mm-hmm. a personal nerve, so he decided to get in a, in a schoolyard fight and then run away, and that made him the most worthy human being that has ever existed. Um, I, I don't think that's. A, I think what it is like. So here's my head cannon to that. Yeah. Um, the you know the wizard sent his sending spell out to find potential candidates for worthy purity. Um, and let's say hypothetically that the sending spell um, it can't see into your heart, uh, but what it can what what it is drawn to is moments of heroism. And for whatever the reason that Billy turns back in the moment that he turns back to protect uh, his to protect Freddie, um, you know, taking on 
two bullies that are bigger than him. That, out of context on its own, is a heroic moment, and there's intensity to it, and that's what the spell is drawn to. Now, I am 100% certain that if uh, Savannah had not already unleashed the seven deadly sins, if the wizard still had more time, he absolutely would not have chosen Billy. He would have sent him back in a heartbeat. But I definitively got the sense that the wizard, after the seven sins were out, the wizard was like, well, I literally have to go with whoever comes next because we are really short on time here. Yeah, I guess I see that. I I mean, I just go with it because it's so fun and because it's the guy who, who gets it. But it just seems like it's a coin toss. He might as well have just accidentally bumped into the wizard because the idea idea that well, it does make a the idea that no sorry, one on earth that no one on earth was doing something more heroic than getting in a schoolyard fight because someone mentioned a mom on that afternoon and that like the fact that like like it couldn't have been someone you know not in america or could it like I, the story happens how it has to happen so i mean i, I get mm-hmm. it and it's it's you know and i'm more i'm mostly just picking nets but it is the it, it is the one it's the mulligan i gotta i gotta give the film the, to go okay it doesn't make any sense that billy's chosen as billy is is you know you know, the, he's like, I can't even imagine that he's probably not the most selfless person in that school, like on that day. Like it's, it's literally, oh, undoubtedly. yeah, it's, it's, he is, he is just kind of a, a jerk most of the time. Although it's, it does, it does. I, I, for one thing, I agree with you completely on that. That was absolutely the, at the end of the day, headcanon or not, the sending spell chose Billy because, well, Billy is who's the story's about. So there. Um, but now that I'm thinking about it, and especially the fact that the movie makes it very clear that Billy is not quote unquote pure of heart, or certainly not the same kind of pure of heart that the wizard was thinking of. Um, But that, so Billy does not start this film as a hero. Um, Not externally and not internally. But by the end, uh, we definitely see him moving in that direction. Uh, So I think one of the messages of the film, uh, very frequently in superhero or, you know, mythic genres or fantasy, you know, they always, so many fantasy stories are about the chosen one. Um, And in that, a lot of those stories, you know, say it's more nature than nurture. They essentially say, oh, you were born destined for this greatness. Um, You know, these are, you know, frequently the, you know, the young heroes who get these powers, you know, have always been good people. They've always just had this, you know, sense of, well, purity and worthiness to them their entire, you know, up until the moment of their becoming the true hero. Uh, This movie says something very different. Um, It very specifically, uh, you know, at least in what it's saying shows, okay, if you take a kid and tell them that they're weak and that they will never be worthy, that sends them off one direction, um, you know, and you end up with, uh, you know, with villain, you know, with mustache twisting villainy. Uh, but also if you take a kid who is not worthy and tell them that they are um, and then give them the chance to show it, uh, while of course in real life that's not a guarantee, it does speak very powerfully uh, to, well, the power of believing in somebody uh, and how much that can help them. I love the fact that this to a certain degree is a film about when, uh, it sounds so cliche, but when you believe in somebody, they have that much more of a chance of becoming that thing that you believe they are. Um, Yeah, I think that I think that there was a, a real tendency in the 90s to push toward the chosen one um, narrative, which I think is now starting to ring less true. And the hero that makes themselves is seems to be the, mm-hmm. the, the hero du jour. So I think th- Oh, shoot, to answer your, uh, sorry, real quick, just to, to answer your previous thing about the whole like why did the sending spell choose Billy it could have chosen anyone maybe that's also the point is that the spell literally could have chosen anybody um, which then speaks to you know anyone could have that potential yeah well and I Sorry, think yeah, well I think that is I think that's exactly right I think that there is a um, in order for this narrative to make sense I think you need to have Billy be who he is I think that would not have been an interesting film to watch the the most capable kid who's already a hero be a bigger hero I think that is not you yeah. know, what this movie is. And I think that you have to give it this in order for it to be the best film it can. And I'm, again, I'm just picking nits. I'm just being kind of jerky about it. Because the fact is, is that this film works specifically because Billy is kind of a jerk. And then he kind of, he makes it swing toward being good. And then he's a, even more of a jerk. And Shazam is kind of a jerk. And it's not till the end that he, A, learns to not be a jerk and B, learns to share. And I think that that is, you know, that is the appeal of the whole film. So you really do need to give it this in order for it to work as a film as well as it does. So I'm, I, it's, mm-hmm. it's not even, a, it's, it's something I noticed. It is by no means a problem for me um, because I'm enjoying mm-hmm. myself. I could watch this film again right now 
now with a big old smile on my face. I do wish it was like 20 minutes shorter. I think it's a pretty long film for kids. Um, and I think yeah, it, it does. Yeah. It start. You're feeling it starting to collapse under its own weight by the end. But um, I'm still having a good time all the way through. Um, uh, it is like the, I, uh, yeah, I have a oh, I have a question for you because there's one thing that also jumps out at me that I was drawn to the whole. So it doesn't take up a huge part of the film in terms of actual screen time, but it certainly does play throughout the entirety of it is Billy's relationship with his mother. Um, and I was very curious to ask you, especially as a parent yourself, what is your take on Billy's mother? Um, honestly, I wish that that's the section I would have mm-hmm. cut out of the film, frankly. Uh, okay. it, it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't make any sense. It, you know, we're, we're saying here's a kid who knows his name and knows his mother's name and the police have found him. She abandoned him at the fair. And this is supposedly in the in the 90s. It is super easy to find someone who's done that. My mom, my name is this. My mother's name is this. And this is where I'm from. Really easy to find. Yeah, her. that's true. You can't that I think I think even more so than the the randomness of the sending yeah, spell. I think you, you that is the you can't the just walk away. So that's the first thing you can't just walk away is the first thing I was thinking Two, you don't just walk away because the police seem like they're doing a pretty good job. Uh, that's a that's a crime. That's really, really bad. <laughs> um, I don't feel for her that I see that she's still in a bad situation and she stays outside. She's a she's a jerk. And the only character who's I've ever seen like be able to pull off being this much of a jerk and, and me walk away caring about her is Jenny from Forrest Gump. And they're trying to Jenny from, from Forrest Gump her. And I just don't forgive her. I don't. I'm like, I'm mm-hmm. sorry. I'm sorry that you're with another you know jerkwad. This kid's not asking anything from you. Just asking for you to give him a glimpse of some kind of hope. And even there, you're like, hey, I don't have room to be your mom, but can we be friends? She doesn't even do that. She's just still mm-hmm. a jerk. And ultimately, he yeah. is not changed by that story. Had he not seen, had you cut the him seeing his mom scene out of the film, then you would not have changed. The film would just play the same. You'd have been like, oh, the, the mom thing happened at the beginning and then you never find the mom. Maybe he'll go after her next movie. But the, the narrative of this film doesn't Yeah, change. supposedly that supposedly that moment was the catalyst. I think that moment was meant to be the catalyst of him making his realization of, oh, you know, I have a, I truly do have a family. And again, I don't, um, I don't like it that did. it's, a, I don't like that it's an external catalyst, like some, some other. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right on that. It's, it, especially in today's day and age, like the, I mean, I will say our, you know, our epic genre storytelling has gotten a lot more nuanced and subtle uh, in the past 20, 30 years. And I love that. Um, how much more interesting now that I'm thinking of it, would it be if it's just like, so he's been looking for his mom his whole life. What if instead, you know, at the age of 15 or 16, he actually comes to this realization of, you know what? She probably didn't want me to find her, but more importantly, look at this family that I have. Uh, it's exactly what you say. Not an external discovery, but an internal one. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like um, Uncle Loman more... and Aunt Beru being dead on Tatooine, and so Luke goes with Obi-Wan. It's like, well, you didn't really choose. Like, you say, like your house is literally yeah. on fire. Like, you're, you're yeah. like you, <laughs> Your you house is literally on fire. Like, you, you have there to There are go. skeletons on the doorstep. Um, so, so like, and, and, and also, like, again, I already gave the movie its one mulligan, so not only is it, like, doesn't make any sense that she could do that, but they're from Connecticut, I think. I think they said, she's two subway stops down in Philly? She's literally walking distance from where you are? <laughs> like, what, she she dropped the kid off of an affair in Connecticut, and then he went to Philly, and then, and it never occurred to him that, like, she could get married and have a different name? Like, and, it's, and, and she wasn't married to begin with, so wouldn't he, especially in the 90s, he would have had the dad's name, it just would have gone that way, they don't do that so much now, but, like, none of, yeah. none of it made sense, and every time it was happening, I had to sort of scratch my head, or it's like, again, you know, if you, if any of you would want to take something away from this podcast, take this, because my wife and I do this all the time, if you ever watch the sequel to Silence of the Lambs, there is a scene in where there's a scene in which um in which the main character of the film is having his brain eaten by uh by um Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal. And as ha- Hannibal takes another scoop out of his brain, he gets stupider and stupider and stupider. And it's a it's a actually it's a really funny scene. And so whenever I'm watching a movie, um this is for my friend Josh, and I just can't I'm too smart for what's going on. I but I still want to enjoy it. I just look to my wife, I look to Mrs. J and I go, Hey, scoop, can you scoop? Just scoop. And she scoop. pretends having a spoon. <laughs> brain scoop. She pretends having a spoon <laughs> and she scoops out of her brain. So I just go, scoop, scoop, please. And she scoops out of my brain. Like, okay, I love that. Um, so 
I needed what to, a wonderful tool to let you enjoy some flawed stories. Yeah, because I needed to scoop about the mother thing. Um, it it yeah, it had fair. it carried no weight. And frankly, um, for you know my seven year olds who seen the film with me, it's alternatingly boring and really disturbing. The whole mother thing, like you didn't need to. Oh have, yeah, like like it's either really disturbing because mom just leaves you at a fair, or it's boring because you're watching a fifteen year old basically doing missing piece person shoot and that search and that's not what you're here so that's the 20 minute Mm -hmm. i would have cut out of the film it didn't it it did not move me at all except to move me to be frustrated i wonder and i don't know the comic uh at all i wonder if the to what extent billy batson being a foster kid was part of the original or at least part of the the earlier versions uh because it is a case can be made that 70 years ago um if somebody wanted to walk away they could walk away and not be found um although even then that doesn't necessarily excuse them saying well this worked 80 years ago so let's just find a way to hand wave it in the era of the internet yeah in a movie where um, youtube plays such a big role i can't such give a it pivotal to role like, i'm sorry yeah. i'm sorry you gotta mm-hmm. you gotta go with it and by the way i love the foster the foster kid stuff i love that house i love that yeah. family oh. i love it's, I, it i mean it's that amazing. is a i i don't know whether it's you know, some people might say that kind of thing is idyllic to the point of naive. Some people might say that, no, it's, you know, it's realistic. I, I, I don't know. All I know is I look at that family and I think, oh my gosh, that is exactly the kind of household I want when I have a family like that. Um, yeah. You know, there's, just, it is there's a lot of love and loving there. There is never anyone's doubt that they are loved. But at the same time, like I love the scene where, um, you know, where Billy's foster father uh, essentially like calls him on the carpet. Uh, for you know, for essentially being a little jerk. Well, and um, also loses his temper. You know, he that, loses. It's that's not. A, yeah, he's not a great dad in that moment. He's not the the perfect dad from spy from uh, from Spider Verse, right? Because that dad is perfect. He's a perfect dad. This is oh a, god, that dad. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. This is, he's he's a flawed dad with a ton of love, and you don't see that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't get that a lot. Like you, like he loses his temper, but you don't hate him for it. You're like, yeah, okay. Like yeah. it's like like settle down. Yeah, a little. No, they, you're just like, no, that's that. Is, I, that is a completely believable and understandable situation from someone who still loves deeply um, and is not a bad yeah. guy for it. Yeah, I think that that's uh, as a matter of fact. The, the portrayal of of those parents are that that really touched me, and it, it's a bummer that oh. the mo- that the the real mom was even part of this. Um, like, did yeah, didn't I, need to be there. I I loved one. I think that for me, the, I mean, the, the the two parents were just I, I loved them throughout. Uh, but for me, the one that really stuck out was they uh, when they thought he had run away again, and so they were looking for him. And, uh, you know, and then the father was like, well, he's run away like 21 times before. Um, so I'm sure they'll find him. And then the mother said, yeah, the difference is this time we will be the first ones there to take him back. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I don't in any way, I, I, I know nothing about the realities of either being a foster parent or the foster care world. Um, but from a, from a purely abstract sense of what that line means is um, essentially love means means no you don't give up uh, especially you know when it gets harder when you run into setbacks it's like you know they loved him and in that moment it seemed like he did not return it um but to them that was not a sticking point at all yeah no i agree it, it was the the non pre not the non prerequisitorial nature of that love one might even say unconditional yeah um is 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 what makes them so attractive um okay so um uh at that this point um speaking of things that we love and i think i know where we're going on a scale of of one to five shazams um what yeah. what would you give <laughs> or what one to five one to five chosen siblings yes on on a scale of of one to one to five uh shiny shining lightning bolts um what would you give uh shazam ah all right so i coming into this one i was pretty solidly in the four area um i and talking about it 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 shifted my view a little bit like because actually just like actually sitting down and talking through all of the areas in which the movie really did accomplish things um i think i'd push it up to a 4.25 like it's there's something in me that's saying not quite 4.5 like this is not a movie that is changing the industry or necessarily even the world in a big way um it's just a really, really well-made film with a lot of very enjoyable moments. Um, so I will say it's a 4.25. Um, I'm going to give it a solid four. As much as I enjoyed it, um, it's not 
ever going to be a go-to film for me, I think. I don't think I'm going to come back to it a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's really, it's like a 3.75, but I'm giving it an extra a, an extra point just for everything it's trying and accomplishing. Um, but it is not, it is not a character I care as much about. It does not hit me where I live as much as, you know, as much as other films do. Um, you know, it is a low, lower budget film by like, you know, if you think about it, this film cost a hundred million dollars to make and, you know, Endgame cost 500 million to, to make. So this is, mm-hmm. you know, th- this is, remember when a hundred million dollars was just a stupidly high budget. Yeah, I do. I do. Um, especially since things are actually cheaper to make now than they used to when it comes to CG. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a perfectly fine film, which is why it gets 3.75. And then it's got some really good stuff going for it in terms of what it's, it's overreaching ambitions are, which is why I boosted to a four. But I think that it, for whatever reason, doesn't fall into my sweet spot. Um, and I know it's fun because I've been heaping praise on the film. The film did not make any, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's like I've gone on, on a date with, with, it's like, it's like, you know, not that I've ever dated as an adult, but you know, I was like, I went onto a dating app and I met someone and they were just perfect. They were great. There, I've nothing bad to say about them. They were lovely and attractive and, and, and good mm-hmm. conversation and, and everything's good, but the chemistry just wasn't there. But the next day, the chemistry just wasn't there. Yeah. And that's yeah. how I feel about the film. I have nothing to fault it for. And maybe the film deserves better than the four that I, the, that I'm giving it, but I can't give it more than a four because I don't feel it. I don't feel like that it is, you know, there are films that are not nearly as good. You know, I will watch The Crow 10 more times before I watch this film two more times. You know, I will, I will, mm-hmm. I will watch, the, the, there are movies that'll just come, I'll come back to because they hit me and this one didn't hit me. I just, I had a good time. And I, like I said, I could watch it again right yeah. now, but as soon as Endgame comes out, I'm going to, I have enough other things to watch. I, I'm going to watch the yeah, new Star exactly. Wars. I'm going to watch the new Star Wars trailer 20 times uh, before I watch this film one yeah. more time. This was a great, this was a great one shot. Yeah. Um, it's perfectly fine. It's, yeah. you know, it's, it's, I like it better than Ant-Man and I don't like it as yeah. much as Spider-Man Homecoming. That's kind of where I am. And I like all those movies. This is, is fine. Yeah. I just love that. Like, like it's a, a throwaway one shot can make enough money to justify itself and a sequel. And I can have a really good time with it. It's, it's a, it's a magical time we live in. I will say this. And I yeah. said this over on, on the Trek Hop podcast. I kid you not. I went to go see Shazam, a th- like a character that nobody cared about, a throwaway joke from the DC, the DC universe that nobody gave two craps about. And I went to go see that. Mm-hmm. And then I came home and I watched Star Trek Discovery because Star Trek's back on TV. And then I, and then <laughs> I'm sitting around and there's a new Star Wars trailer that I'm just giddy about that I've watched a billion times as I'm anticipating another Avengers movie that's going to have a trailer for Dark Phoenix in front of it um, as I'm, you know, as I'm, you know, loving all of this and waiting for Game of Thrones to start. It's just a magical time yeah. to be a, a, a visual media consumer who is also a nerd. This is insane. I will say the uh, the world, it, it is absolutely magical. The world will not become perfect for the, uh, in terms of like giving giving young Arthur all of the movie fulfillment uh, that uh, he craved. Uh, it will not become perfect for me until they do a movie or miniseries of either the Dark Elf trilogy or Dragonlance. Because, I mean, at least for me, Dungeons and Dragons and all of the intellectual properties associated with that were just as crucial, if not more so, to my upbringing than superheroes. I don't know the Dark and Elf that, trilogy while, at all, but I think the Dragonlance has enough name recognition of people go, oh, I remember that name, even if you never read it. Yeah, I, it's a, like it's to me, it's it's a it's not a definite at all. But I was just like, no, this is a this is a reasonable, especially with the success of Game of Thrones or something. You know, hey, to any to any producers out there who just happen to be listening to this podcast, it's a because we know you next are. Step. <laughs> Yeah. Kevin Feige. And the last thing I want to say about, uh, speaking of just the, you know, our, the magical time in general, um, one thing that I also liked about this film, and uh, because it's it was very similar to a lot of the other stuff that I'm watching right now, uh, you know, which ironically, many of them like sort of children's cartoons, uh, you know, the new Shira Princess of Power, uh, which is wonderful. The, uh, you know, I'm catching up on Steven Universe. Uh, this movie shared a lot of the themes with that, which was it had an ultimately hopeful message at the end. But one of the key aspects of that is even the superheroes don't do it alone. Um, no one stands on their own. No one should think that they have to. Uh, you know, the whole, <laughs> it's it's super cliche, but it's like the most powerful magic is friendship. And we can say that mockingly, but there's a lot of stories out there that are, that are actively proving, no, that might legitimately be the case. And I am 100% okay with that. Yeah, this is, uh, this is, um, it's just wild. It's just, a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a wild thing, um, that we get to experience. 
experience all this and that we get to share it with you. I love the other wonderful thing is that we get to have this conversation and share with you guys. Thank you for being patient with our little hiatus uh, as as we went to production <laughs> on the movie. Um, for those of you who contributed to the movie, and I know that some of you did, um, I I look forward to uh, I look forward to showing you cancellation uh, when it's done because I think you're going to really enjoy it. But for now, my name is Justin, and my name is Arthur, and hey there, true believers. Shazam! Shazam! Now that you finished the show, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode of the Totally Super Podcast. Also, if you like this, you should head over to geeksradio.com or search Geeks Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. There you can find Trek Off, the not safe for work Star Trek podcast with Justin and Alexia. So search for Trek Off, search for Pop Off, search for Geeks Radio, and just thanks for joining us. This has been a presentation of Enlight Entertainment. 